children, I don't want you to think I'm going to be having a snack in front of you today. So we are so excited. Thanks, honey. So excited that the children are with us now and during sermon time and just during our whole worship time and such a blessing to worship Jesus together. And Pastor Steve texted me this morning and, and said that he's feeling better and better and fully expects to be back next week. So in that we rejoice. And uh, if you would, I'd like you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 15. And I appreciate uh, what Chris shared today in um, communion time, just about the fact that all of us are in such need of Christ. And as believers, sometimes we, we can tend to think that we're, we're, we've really arrived and, and we haven't. And we need the blood of Christ every day and we need to remind ourselves every day of his sacrifice and uh, so I'm so grateful for that, and uh, we're going to talk more about that when we talk about abiding in Jesus. Let's, let's start our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the sacrifice of your Son. We're thankful that he rose from the dead and, and now sits at your right hand, and simply by placing our faith and trust in him, that our sins are forgiven, we're redeemed, restored, and forgiven. And Lord, we, we come to you with junk in our lives, we come to you with our flesh that still wants to try and dominate our lives, and we don't want that. We want to bring glory to you, and um, we need your help. We need your spirit, your Holy Spirit who now dwells in us and enables us to do this, and we want to abide in Jesus. We want to continue and remain and walk by faith in him. And we need you. And apart from you, Jesus, we can do nothing. But as we abide in you, we will bear much fruit. Would you come now and, and show us uh, your word? Would you transform our hearts and minds that we might glorify you, that we might bear fruit for you, and that we might love you even more and, and love each other more. In Christ's name we pray, amen. As I was preparing this week, uh, I don't know why, but I started thinking about some of these funny sayings that we hear. Um, for instance, like, sleep tight and don't let the bed bugs bite. And I think about that saying, and, and uh, first of all, the first question I have is, what does it mean to sleep tight? And if you think you're sleeping tight, I could never sleep like that. You know, and then what, is it, what does it mean to keep the bed bugs from biting? I mean, is there a technique to do that? And thirdly, if there are bed bugs in my bed, I'm not going to sleep. I'm sleeping in the chair. Another one, and I was kind of a goofball growing up. I guess some things don't change too much, but um, you hear this saying, don't make that funny face, your face is going to freeze like that. So that kind of uh, strikes some fear into me. I didn't want to grow up looking like Popeye. Every time the camera came out, I had to make a funny face or tip my head or, or something. So, Mackenzie, don't, don't you be doing that. <laughs> Another one, this is a really crazy one, step on a crack and you'll break your mother's back. That one's really crazy, and I think that may be why my mother prayed for a chiropractor in the family before I was born. <laughs> but as I was growing up, she was always calling me a little Dickens, so I was confused. Maybe she wanted me to be an author or something. And here's the one that I find most repulsive. If you drink coffee, it will stunt your growth. 
So I never listened to that one. But spiritually speaking, there are things that will stunt our growth. And we struggle in our faith and we become frustrated. And we truly want to follow Jesus, but we see too much of our own sinful flesh that tries to dominate our lives. We long for a victorious and fruitful Christian life. And today's passage in John 15, I think, gives us tremendous insight in how to do that. And now, kids, here come the grapes. And if you're listening, kids, you want to draw a picture or something, help yourself remember the lesson today, this would be a good thing to draw. So I have two branches. One has grapes and one doesn't. One is attached to a vine, and through that vine is growing through the life nutrients necessary to produce this fruit. This branch has no fruit on it. There's no life flowing from a vine to the branch. In John 15, Jesus is going to talk about two branches. He's going to talk about branches that produce fruit and branches that don't. And Jesus says he is the true vine, and through him, true life flows. And through faith in Jesus, we receive life. We receive his Holy Spirit, and through him comes life, and through him, we produce fruit. And in this passage today, ultimately, the greatest of fruit is love, for out of that flows everything else. Now, this branch produces no fruit because it isn't really trusting or resting or abiding in Jesus. And this one is in a very dangerous place. Now, even though there's fruit on this branch, as Mr. Hudson or Chris mentioned, that we're not perfect. We still have lots of sin and lots of gunk in our lives, and we need to have that worked on. And God the Father is the vine dresser, and he comes and he takes and he cuts away the weeds and the things that would choke off this fruit. And Jesus says, as we abide in him, we will produce much fruit. So the passage today is going to show us that abiding in Jesus, we're going to live a fruitful life for him. And the sad thing and the important thing to note is that the branches that don't truly come to faith in Jesus, God is very patient with them, but at some point he's going to take them and there's going to be judgment. For apart from Jesus, there is no eternal life. Only judgment awaits. But in Jesus, we have eternal life. So let's look at our passage in John 15 as we Look at that. There's a few things just to say to lead up to it. God created man with a purpose. He, if we think back to Genesis with Adam, he created him to glorify him. He said, let us make man in our image. And an image reflects the character of something else. So man was created to reflect God's character. And then he told them to be fruitful and multiply. And we know that Yes, he meant physically that they would have children, but it's more than just physically repopulating the earth. We, we see that as image bearers of God, and as they bore fruit and multiplied, they would bear more image bearers, more children who would bear fruit for God and, and glorify him, and, and that, in that way he would multiply. And then he, said, he told them to obey his commandment. He said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you do, you will die. And this was to be obeyed in love and adoration of God. And we know that Adam and Eve did not obey God, that they sinned, and through that sin, they became corrupt. So that 
man is no longer able to carry out that purpose. And we all, as children of Adam and Eve, inherit that nature, that nature does, does, that rebels against God. God promised throughout the Old Testament that he would send Messiah, as we sang, to redeem, restore, and forgive. And throughout the Old Testament, the word of Messiah was given that God would send that one person that would do this. Then God created the nation of Israel through whom the Messiah would come, and he charged them with preaching his word to the nations. But Israel failed to do so. And in Isaiah 5, we see a picture of God as the vine dresser, and Israel as the vine. And in that passage, they have failed to produce that fruit that God had looked for from them. Instead, it says that they produced wild grapes. But God's plan all along was that it was only through his son that his purpose would be carried out. In chapter 1 of John, we see that Jesus Christ himself is the word that who became flesh, who came into the world, and he proclaimed the good news, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And now in John 15, Jesus refers to himself as the true vine, and we see again God as the Father, as the vine dresser. Only through the true vine do we find that we can be redeemed, restored, and forgiven, and only through the true vine can we find our purpose. And in that, we will find that we will glorify God, we will bear fruit and multiply, and we will keep his commandment, which Jesus defines as loving others. And as we shared in uh, communion time this morning, we're not going to do it perfectly. We are going to fall short. We're going to fall short every day, but we're going to keep pursuing. And that's what the word abide means, is that it's mentioned 11 times in this passage. And abide means simply to continue in a daily personal relationship with Jesus. And it's characterized by trust and prayer, obedience, joy, and love. Saving faith is continuing faith. It's not perfect faith. It's persevering faith. So we know we're going to mess up. We know we're going to sin, but we're not turning back from following Jesus. We're coming to him. We're bringing our sin to him. It's also important to note that in our passage today, the word fruit is mentioned seven times. And what's the fruit he's talking about? It's spiritual fruit. Jesus said that it will abide or continue. So that means it has eternal value. Anything that is done for the glory of God can be considered fruit. Anything that reflects him and not us. This includes our attitudes and our actions of word or deed. And as I mentioned, it's all summed up in love. Love for God and love for others. So there are four main things I'd like us to take, take home today. Number one, and we'll go over them again in the conclusion, but apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. We can do nothing. But abiding in Jesus, we will be fruitful. We need to find our identity in Jesus. We're going to see in the passage, in Jesus, we are clean. We are forgiven. And in Jesus, we are loved with an eternal love. And then a determination, I will abide in Jesus. I am determined no matter how many times I fall on my face, I'm going to get up and I'm going to keep following Jesus. And number four, I will love others as Jesus loves me. So let's read the first six uh, verses together. Abiding in Jesus produces a fruitful life. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. 
Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So in these verses, we see Jesus is the true vine. We see the Father is the vine dresser. And we see two branches that we mentioned in our illustration. Jesus is the true vine. He's the one through whom all life flows. Without him, there is no life. Jesus owns both branches. He created all people, but he is the savior of those who have put their faith in him. Only through Jesus can fruit be produced. And only through Jesus' word, through the gospel, does cleansing come. Now the father is the vine dresser. He will judge. He will take away the unfruitful branches, but he lovingly prunes the fruitful branches. He removes anything in our lives that will hinder our growth, anything that is self-driven and not Christ-driven. The two branches, we have branches that don't bear fruit and we have branches that do bear fruit. It's important to note a few uh, observations about these branches. The one about the branches that don't bear fruit, it says that they are thrown away and burned. This is a picture of judgment. This is one point that would lead to the conclusion that these are not true believers in Jesus. Believers are pruned and disciplined, but they're not judged. Jesus has taken our judgment upon him, and we celebrated that in communion today. John 3:36 says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Because they don't abide or remain in Jesus, God's wrath remains or, re or abides on them. Verse 6 says that they do not abide in Jesus. They don't continue. They may have started off with a confession of faith in Jesus. They may have prayed a prayer, but for some reason, they've ceased to follow him. We have examples of this in John 6, after Jesus had fed the 5,000 and told the crowd that he was the bread of life, and that if people wanted to have eternal life, they must eat his flesh and drink his blood. They thought he was out of his mind. But he was talking about believing in him and trusting in his atoning sacrifice. And then he said this, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And then he goes on to say in verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. We know also that those who have not placed their faith in Christ are not clean, they're not cleansed or forgiven. An interesting point here, when this part of this passage of John is part of what is called the farewell discourse, and it really starts in John 13 and continues in through John 17. In John 13, we see Jesus washing the disciples' feet, and at that time, Judas was still with them. He had not left to betray him, and Jesus is washing their feet and even would wash Judas' feet, the one he knows is going to betray him, and Jesus said to them at that time, you are all clean, or you are clean, but not all of you. And it was referring to Judas. Judas was still with them. And now, since then, Judas has left to betray Jesus. 
So now left are the disciples. Judas is not there anymore. And Jesus says, you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. He doesn't add a, not all of you. He says, you are clean. So in Jesus, we are clean. We think of our sin oftentimes and it can just overwhelm us. But in Jesus, we are clean and we need to remember that. So the true disciples are now present, but the false disciple has left. The true disciples are those that do bear fruit. All believers will bear fruit to one degree or another. Jesus now dwells in us through the Holy Spirit, and there will be fruit. There will be evidence of that. And while the Spirit is not specifically mentioned in chapter 15, he's very much present in chapter 14 and 16 that Jesus taught that the Spirit would be received by those who would receive Jesus. And again, as Chris reminded us, we're not perfect. We still have junk that needs to be worked out of our lives, and we know that, that God is in the process of pruning us. The vine dresser prunes the branches so they can bear more fruit. Those things in our lives that can keep us from growing, those things that are selfish, self-driven motives rather than Christ-driven motives, and God wants to work that stuff out of our lives so that we might reflect his glory even more. We must have those things uprooted and, and replaced with Christ-driven motives and actions. And again, we are all in this process. As God is doing this, as he's rooting out that sin in our lives, as he's taking those weeds away and the fruit is, is being born, God is glorified. And we are really fulfilling what he created us to do. Like John the Baptist in John 3.30 says, Jesus must increase, but we must decrease. We must see more of Jesus in our lives and less of ourselves. Verse 3, the fruitful branches are clean because of the word that Jesus has spoken to them. And what is the word? It is the gospel. It is salvation through Jesus, through faith in him alone. They have believed these branches, these fruitful branches, that they are sinners in need of God's mercy and have turned to Jesus by faith. They've been cleansed and forgiven of their sins. In our house, we have, we have now called Spaghetti Night Bath Night. <laughs> our son Matthew absolutely loves spaghetti. It's his favorite food. And the moment it hits his plate, after we pray, it's going in, 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 and it's going down. And he's found it's funny to put his hands on his head when he eats. We're working on that with him. But by the time we're done eating, he is covered in spaghetti. And it must be a bath night. He must be cleansed. And that's really like our sin. It's, it covers our whole life. It covers our whole body. It covers our whole hearts. And we need to be cleansed. And the moment we put our faith and trust in Christ, we are totally cleansed from the inside out. We don't always feel that way. But Jesus says we are clean. These branches that bear fruit abide in Jesus they continue in their faith day by day as they are being pruned. Life gets hard. There's temptation to turn back. There's temptation to not follow. But there's something inside of us that says, I am not turning back. And I, I can remember in my own Christian walk times where there were doubts and there were fears. And I just, Lord, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm doubting this. I'm fearful. But I am holding on to you and I'm not letting go. And that's the picture of just continuing on, even though we've fallen, even though we've sinned. We confess it and we hold on to Jesus and we don't turn back. 
Saving faith is continuing faith. It's not perfect faith, it's, but persevering. And then Jesus says to abide in him, and he would abide in us. Jesus abides in the believers. And this is amazing to think about, that the Son of God would abide in the believer, to continue in the believer. And that's intimacy, and that's comforting to know that no matter where we are, we have this mutual and affectionate relationship with Jesus. And then uh, important to note is that he says that these branches can do nothing apart from Jesus. This is always a good reminder, a good reminder every day when we wake up, Jesus, today I can do nothing apart from you. This is humility, and this is where we start. That's where we start in our salvation as we come spiritually bankrupt, telling Jesus, I cannot do it. I am sinful. I need you. I repent, and I place my faith in you. And then every day from that day forward, realizing our dependence upon Jesus. We need to trust him, and we say, Jesus, I'm trusting you to work in me today. That brings us to verse 7. Abiding in Jesus is a love relationship with God. Let's read that together. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. We notice right in verse 7, any, the key to any relationship is communication. When you love someone, you want to communicate with them. You want to spend time with them, and you want to get to know them better. We communicate with words. God communicates with us with words also. That's what Jesus said. My words abide in you. When we open the word of God, we are not just opening up an ordinary book. We are opening up the very word of Jesus. And as we read it and meditate on it, our minds are going to be transformed. Our motives are transformed. Our actions are transformed, and even our prayers will be transformed. As we do this, there is more of Jesus and less of us. And as we are transformed, we begin to ask for things that are consistent with his will. And while we are communicating with God, the Holy Spirit will show us areas of self-centeredness and enable us to replace those with Jesus-centeredness. This is part of the pruning process, is seeing where we fall short realizing we're forgiven, and realizing we need Jesus to change. And when we aren't communicating with God, this process gets more painful. And God will lovingly get our attention because he is committed to complete in us what he's begun. And while we are communicating with the Lord like this, we see prayers answered. So we desperately need to be in God's word and we desperately need to be on our knees before God in prayer. And we must communicate more and more with him. And again, none of us do this perfectly. Life gets busy. It's hard. We get into our day and we haven't been thinking about the Lord. We haven't been spending time with him, but we really need to strive to do that. And there's no special time or, or no special way, but opening up the word and just being with Jesus. Remember Mary and Martha uh, Jesus had come to their house and Martha was scurrying about uh, doing everything she could think to do to 
that was all earthly and taking care of things, and Mary was just sitting at Jesus' feet, and Martha was upset with Mary, and Jesus said, Mary's chosen the right thing. So we need to find time in our busy schedules to sit at Jesus' feet. This is the way that we can abide in him as his word abides in us. And as we do that, verse 8 tells us that the Father is glorified as we abide in Jesus and, and we produce fruit. God is put on display as we are abiding in Jesus and we're being transformed by his word and we're asking for those things in prayer that are consistent with his will. As we are asking for those things, that's part of the way that these self-driven motives are driven from us and removed with Jesus-driven things and fruit is being produced. And as fruit is being produced, God is glorified and again, we are fulfilling his purpose as his fruit-bearing disciples. This is what Adam was designed to do but failed. This is what Jesus came to redeem us, restore us, and forgive us so that we can do this. And this, as we do this, he says, you will prove to be my disciples. We will gain assurance of our standing with Christ as we are walking with him. Verses 9 and 10, it's important for us to find our, our identity in his love, and that will enable us to keep his commandment to love. We are loved with the eternal love of God. We are loved by the same love by which the Father loves Jesus. Again, that's hard for us to imagine because we see the gunk in our lives. But that love never changes. There's nothing we can do to change his love for us. Nothing we can do to add to it. Nothing we can do to take away from it because it's eternal and it's perfect. It frees us up, really. It frees us up to live on the edge for him because we're not driven by a performance-based relationship, but by grace. We can love others even if they don't love us back because our identity isn't found in that person, it's found in Christ. And he says to abide in his love, to continue in it. We abide in him as we abide in his love. And that includes reminding ourselves of his love. That includes preaching the gospel to ourselves. And just as we took Lord's Supper today, that's a reminder that Jesus died for us. We come back to that. That is the foundation of who we are. And as his love permeates through us, it can't help but overflow into our actions and cause us to love others in the same way. And as we do this, we are keeping his commandment that Adam didn't keep, and we are glorifying him. We are fulfilling our purpose of obeying his commandment. Again, where Adam failed, Christ redeemed us and restored us and forgave us so that we would be enabled to do this. Apart from him, we can't do it. But in him, we can. And as we are doing this, we are going to bring glory to him. Notice, too, in this passage, he says that we keep his commandment just as Jesus kept his father's commandment. And this is what Chris mentioned about Jesus being... Uh, our perfect righteousness, and that we become his righteousness through his uh, righteousness. That uh, just as the perfect righteousness of Jesus is lived out through us as we are abiding in him. We don't do it perfectly, but he did. Every point that we failed in, he didn't. And when God the Father looks at us, he doesn't look at that failure. He looks at Christ, and he looks at the righteousness of Christ. And he looks at the blood of Christ that covers all of our sin. When we abide in him, we abide in his righteousness. So how can we not love one another when we are loved like this? 
what sin has somebody committed against me? Oh, oh, well, let me say this. Which of my sins has Jesus not forgiven me for? So if somebody sins against me, how can I hold any sins against them? It has to transform how we live. Abiding in his love will bring us fullness of joy. Verse 11. See, the pleasures of this world will never satisfy. They are tainted by the corruption of the world. They're tainted by the limitation of time. We think about the greatest of human pleasures come to an end. We took an amazing vacation this past summer to North Carolina, and uh, Dawn's parents said, we'll pay for the house on the beach if everyone would come, and we said, that's a pretty good deal. So we went, <laughs> and we had an amazing time. And as vacations always do, you plan for them, and you look forward to them, and they're here, and they're amazing, and then you're back home. You know, so all things in this life have a beginning and an end. But in Jesus, the joy is eternal. Before we left on vacation, we had Jesus. When we came, we're on vacation, we had Jesus. When we came home and went back to our daily routine, we had Jesus. He's the eternal one. And only by abiding in the love of Jesus will we find our joy. The joy Jesus gives is an eternal one, and it's untouched by the corruption of this world. Much of our fears and anxieties that we experience really be helped and, and snuffed out by this if we would just abide more and more in his love and, and realize that our identity is not found in a circumstance. Our identity is not found in another person. It's only found in Jesus and his unending, unconditional love. And while sacrificial love seems hard, it is a key to finding true joy in this life. We think joy and happiness comes from getting what we want, but it truly comes from giving away all we are to others. Which brings us to point three. Abiding in Jesus will be manifested by love for others. Verses 12 to 17 say this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. <clears throat> These things I command you so that you will love one another. Verses 12 and 13, the commandment is love. All of God's commandments are fulfilled in love. And Jesus said the two greatest commandments are to love God and love others. And not just any love, but the very sacrificial love of Christ. Jesus tells us to love one another just as he has loved us. That means laying down our life for others. And this is the greatest love that we can show. Remember John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Apart from Jesus, we can't do it. But abiding in Jesus, we can. You may be thinking right now of someone who's very difficult to love. You can be honest with God and tell, you, tell him, I'm struggling with loving this person. I can't do it on my own. I have no power to do this. I have no desire to love this person. But Jesus, enable me to love them. I want you to live through me. That's the ultimate fruit, is love. Well, what does this look like? 
most of us know that we will never have to physically uh, lay down our lives for somebody. We may, but we may not. But remember that God is the pruner and God is the judge, not us. We are not called to be judged. We are not called to be the pruner. We're just called to love. We need to deal with sin when we see it, but we are to do it in love. And too quickly, we want to be the vine dresser and either prune, prune people by fixing them or cast them off completely. We are the branches and our responsibility is to love. Kids, it could mean you not arguing with your brother or sister over who gets more ice cream. Or maybe when you're playing with your, a friend is putting them first and letting them play with the toy that you really want to play with. It may mean for all of us not joining with others when they're saying bad things about somebody behind their back. Husbands and wives, it means being patient with each other. Remember that God has joined you together and he is infinitely wise. He desires for you to bring glory to him and proclaim the gospel together. Your marriage is bigger than just the two of you. It's bigger than the two of us, all of us. It's about God and his glory and his gospel. Husbands and wives are called to love one another with the love of Christ and to forgive one another as we have been forgiven. Husbands, it really means striving to know your wives better, putting them first and loving them truly as Christ does the church, consistently praying for your wives to abide in Jesus. And wives, respecting your husbands and praying for them to abide in Jesus. And all of us, every one of us, loving and forgiving one another as Christ has loved us and forgiven us. It's not easy. It, apart from Jesus, we can't do it. But in him, we can. Verses 14 and 15 tells us that we are friends of Jesus. And this is an incredible privilege to be a friend of the king. It also brings a great responsibility because we are co commanded to obey him, to love, to lay down our lives for others. And laying down our lives doesn't make us friends of Jesus, but laying down our lives proves that we're friends of Jesus. And this is the evidence, again, of a fruitful life. Verse 16 tells us that God is sovereign over our fruit bearing. Jesus said, you did not cho choose me, but I chose you. Again, in the mystery of God, he has sovereignly chosen those who come to Christ. He's sovereignly chosen us before the foundation of the world. And yet he tells us to come. And Jesus says, I chose you to go and to bear fruit. Each of us has a chosen and appointed mission field in our families, in our workplace, wherever we are, that's our mission field. And we can take great confidence in this in knowing that God is going to use us for his glory. And abiding in Jesus is a missional lifestyle. He chose us to go, to go and bear fruit. And again, here's echoes of Genesis, be fruitful and multiply. We cannot keep the love of Jesus to ourselves. And love by nature is giving, it's sacrificial. It means we go outside of ourselves and bring this message to the world. And verse 16 also tells us that fruit bearing is an uh, for Jesus is an eternal investment. Our fruit will abide or continue. And what's done for Jesus will indeed last forever. And I would venture to say that this is greater than any 401k plan any one of us could have. So... <laughs> And the ultimate fruit, verse 17, is love. 
This sums up what it is to abide in Jesus. When we are abiding in him, we will love. We will love God and we will love others. And God is going to prune all that's in, that isn't love in us. Anything that's not driven by love, that's what God wants to prune. And we need to embrace that. And it's hard to say, God, go ahead and prune me. But when we're abiding in Jesus and our hearts are being transformed, that's our heart, that's our desire, is to see him work in our lives, prune the, the gunk out of our lives so we can love him more and love each other more. So as we draw to a close, we see that abiding in Jesus, we will be fulfilling our God-given purpose to glorify him. We are his image bearers be f and to be fruitful and multiply and to obey his command to love. Again, we cannot do this on our own, but abiding in Jesus, we can do it. So the four things I said I wanted us to take home today, number one is, is to remind ourselves, apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. But abiding in Jesus, I will bear much fruit. Thinking about that hard thing in your life, that circumstance that keeps you awake at night, or that person that you're really struggling with, you can say, Jesus, I can't do it. And that's okay, because Jesus, Jesus told us you can't do it. So we're just agreeing with Jesus. I cannot do it, but Jesus, in you, I can. Two, I will find my identity in Jesus. I will listen to what he says about me. If I have come to him by faith and I have rested him and I have trusted in him, then he says I'm clean, and I'm going I'm to take him to, to his word on that. I am clean. And I'm going to remind myself that I am loved. No matter what happens this day, no matter what kind of response uh, that we get in our lives the next, tomorrow, uh, no matter who's difficult with us, and no matter what circumstance might be awaiting us, if we're loved in Jesus um, and we find our identity in that, we can endure and we can abide in him. And number three, I will abide in Jesus. It takes a determination. Today, Jesus, apart from you, I can't do anything, but I choose this day to follow you. And number four, I'm not going to keep it to myself. I'm going to love others just as you've loved me. So again, these things are difficult, and we can't do it, but in Jesus we can. Let's pray. Father, you are the vine dresser. Jesus, you are the true vine. We are your branches. Lord, our desire is to follow you, and apart from you, we can do nothing. This is what your word tells us. We believe it. But we also believe that in you, abiding in you, our lives will produce fruit for you, for your glory. Lord, I just want to uh, lift up ourselves to you today at, at KBC. Right here, Lord, all of us who are born-again believers in Christ, we want to see your fruit in our lives. We know that we come with junk in our lives. We know we come with sin. We know we come with self-driven motives, but we want you to prune us. We want more of Jesus and less of us. We want to see the fruit of love flowing in and through every single step, that we walk by faith and we, we trust totally and completely in the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins that we walk in the power of his spirit, that we abide in him. And I, 
I pray that you would help us, Lord, to, to be more uh, in love with you today and in love with each other than we were, and that we would strive to abide in you, that we might continue to see more fruit, and that we might be bold in our prayers. You said that as we abide in you, we can ask whatever we want, and we know that doesn't mean we're asking with selfish motives because you're transforming our hearts and our minds. So we ask that you would help us to be bold prayers to see your kingdom magnified in our families' lives, in the body of KBC, in this community, and in the world. And Lord, I want to pray right now for anybody that's here that has come and, and, and questions or, or realizes that they haven't truly followed you, that they would know that there is mercy and there is grace and that you love them and you've shown that love by sacrificing your son and there's nothing that they can ever do but just to turn to him in faith. And that today you might renew them, clean them, cleanse them, that they would know that they are clean of all the sin that they've committed. There isn't one sin that isn't cleansed in Christ. And that they would begin today to abide in you and bring fruit for you, for your glory. Lord, we are so thankful that you lovingly prune us, you lovingly cause us to grow and you keep your hand upon us and you are abiding in us and uh, we are secure in Christ we desire today to follow Christ enable us, empower us in Jesus name, amen amen, let's stand and let's sing together all must be well to know that, that God is sovereign